When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Financial feminists, welcome back to the show. I had coffee today and I don't normally do that. I've had coffee twice this week, actually. And the fun fact about me drinking coffee is I feel like I can see sounds and lift a car after a couple hours of that, where I'm basically Michael Scott on pretz all day. I have to crash and I get super anxious and then I start crying. <laughs> And this is the cycle of me on caffeine and coffee, which for many reasons is why I do not participate in harder drugs. Because if caffeine does this to me, I am scared to discover what other things do to me. So you're getting hyped up me today and I'm really excited about it. I drink, this is nuts, but those brown sugar oat milk shaken espressos at Starbucks, you know the drinks. They're lovely. I call them brown sugar bullshits because it's really difficult to say brown sugar oat milk shaken espresso. And it makes me feel really ridiculous when I order one of those because it makes me feel like I'm one of those people who orders like my coffee at an exact temperature. Can you tell I've had caffeine? I can. Hi! I'm happy you're here. For those of you who are new, welcome. You're getting quite the crash course. My name is Tori. I am obviously the host of this podcast, also a money expert, a New York Times bestselling author, a millionaire, and I'm so excited to uh, teach you a little bit about money today. If you're an oldie but a goodie, welcome back. We're excited to see you back here. Hopefully you're enjoying summer, taking some much needed sun on your face, and we appreciate you spending your time with us. All right. We love giving your voicemails and your wins. And know that even if we don't put your voicemail on the show, we share your questions with our team to help us create better content. So we really, really love not only celebrating you, but also being able to serve you best by answering any questions you have. So today we are rounding back to do another Ask Tori from user submitted voicemails from a lot of the questions we see in our Facebook group community that we'll link down below. It's free to join. We would love to see you there. Today, we're splitting up and answering some of your biggest savings and investing questions, everything from financial advisors to when it's okay to use an emergency fund and more. So let's take our first question. Hi, Tori. I just wanted to say thank you for providing all the education that you have. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for the last few years, and in the last few years, my husband and I have gotten our emergency fund together. We have paid off our credit card debt, started investing in our 401ks. The one question I do have for you, my husband in March of 2024 will be getting his first significantly large bonus check. In the past, we've always just had steady income, so I knew exactly how to budget. But this check will be equivalent to another salary, which is actually really scary because I'm not sure what we should do with it, and I don't want it to just kind of disappear if we don't have a plan. So my question for you, would it be smart for us to hire a financial advisor? I'm a little nervous about that. It's hard for me to trust people with our money or their certain percentages I should be putting it into as far as like a percentage into investing, percentage into another savings. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Thank you. First off, Ashley, holy shit with the wins. Congratulations. We got emergency fund. We got no credit card debt. 
all of this is amazing. You've started investing. Congratulations. And this really helps inform my answer to your question. So thank you for that. Two, so cool that you already know that <laughs> your partner is getting a bonus in like nine months and that you're planning for it now. I think this is a common question though. Well, I know it's a common thing that we get asked is it's like, okay, I'm coming into a little bit more money than I'm used to, whether that's a bonus at work or I had an inheritance or a life insurance policy payout. That's another the topic for another time because there's a lot of like heavy emotions around that. But specifically, like if I'm getting a raise or I'm getting a bonus and you're wondering what to do with it, let's talk. Okay. So Ashley, first of all, the fact that you have your emergency fund in place is huge. That is where I would have people start, right? If you're getting this large sum of money and you don't have an emergency fund already, that is where your money should go, right? Three to six months of living expenses. And if you already have that, it might be worth taking some of this extra money and beefing up your emergency fund, right? We've seen with layoffs, we've seen with just like weird economic climate that having a more robust emergency fund, if you can't afford it, might be a good option for you. So I'm talking like six to nine months or even a year of emergency saving. So if you're getting that extra money and you don't already have an emergency fund, that's where we start. If you do have one and you also don't have credit card debt, right? Maybe beefing up your emergency fund is a good place to start. I would say the next, if you don't have that emergency fund, right? Paying off credit card debt, you don't have some Ashley, which is great. So if I was you, what I would do is if I do have, let's say, a six-month emergency fund, I would put some of that money into a high-yield savings account, some of that money that I'm getting to beef up my emergency fund to nine months. And then honestly, I would invest the rest. I would take the rest of it and put it towards tax-advantaged accounts for retirement, like a 401k, like a Roth IRA. I would do everything I could to max those accounts out. And if I have money left over, I would invest it in what's called a brokerage account. That's just a general investing account, not for a particular purpose. I would asterisk this with, if you have a goal that's in the short term, right? Like maybe you're trying to buy a house. Maybe you are trying to have children, right? Maybe you want to start a business. I wouldn't invest all of the rest of that. Maybe take a portion of that and put it towards your own goals, right? Take a portion of it and put it towards, you know, these short-term goals that you have and put that in a separate high-yield savings account. Now, in terms of percentages, I really can't tell you what should go where. But if you take, again, if you know what like three months of living expenses are and take that out and put it in your emergency fund, what's left over is the the chunk you can divvy up to investments or your other short-term goals, right? Or to paying off lower interest debt. If you have student loans, if you have a mortgage, if you have a, a car loan, might be worth also paying off. But I would prioritize investing with that huge chunk of money. Now you asked, do I need a financial advisor? 99% of you listening don't need one. This is a question we get all of the time as people ask, do I need a financial advisor? I think I need somebody to tell me what to do with your money. I just told you what to do with your money and you didn't have to pay anybody. <laughs> but like financial advisors, here's the thing is like, I truly believe that financial advisors can be helpful, but they're really helpful for two kinds of people. One somebody with millions and millions and millions of dollars who is trying to figure out like the most optimized way to invest that. And I would imagine 99% of you listening are not in that tax bracket. And the second thing is if you have something incredibly complicated, like, you know, uh, God forbid, like my, when my parents die, right? Like they have a very complicated estate. Like they have a lot of accounts in a lot of different places. My dad is very smart financially. So he set up like a trust and he's, he's got his will and he's got all of that. Like that's when I might consider hiring a financial advisor because I need somebody to help me navigate all of that. 
if you're the person who's just wondering, how do I save money? How do I pay off debt? How do I start or continue investing? What should I be investing in? You don't need a financial advisor. You need somebody counseling you like myself or another financial expert. Everything that I just did, right? You don't need to pay somebody else to go do. And I talk about in my book, literally, I'm following the financial game plan from chapter three of Financial Feminist, which is like what to do in what order. If you are going to work with a financial advisor, which again, truly, this is not a narc on financial advisors. You just don't need to spend your money on them. 99% of you don't need one. If you are going to work with a financial advisor, let's break down what your options are. One is a fee-only financial advisor. This means that they only charge a fee and they don't take commissions. Fee-based means that they charge both a fee and also might take some commission. What are they taking commission on? They're taking commission on the things that they sell to you. So a mutual fund or a certain policy that you're signing up for. You should be looking for some sort of fee-based financial advisor. You do not want to work on what the third option is, which is commission-based advisors, which means they make money when you make money, but from the money in your portfolio. Now, we all got to eat, right? We all got to make money somehow. We recommend products here at Her First 100K that allow us to get a kickback. But we don't recommend products to people that we don't think would actually be helpful, right? Or that don't have good, like robust services, right? I have seen so many people on like places like TikTok recommend indexed universal life insurance policies as like investment vehicles. Literally, Kristen, you can't see her. She just stuck her tongue out and did the truly not a smart investment. (laughs) But guess why people recommend them? They get a commission on them. Now, again, Making a commission is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I get it. Financial advisors need to make money. However, if they are recommending things to you that don't make sense, what you have is an insurance salesman, not a financial advisor. With fee-based financial advisors, which as a reminder, is the way you want to go, they are required to be fiduciaries. What is a fiduciary? A fiduciary means that they're legally obligated to act in your own best interest. And you're thinking, Tori, shouldn't that be a requirement for everybody? No, because under Donald Trump, the law that Obama passed to regulate all of this, he overturned it because of course he did. So some commission-based financial advisors are fiduciaries, but not all. If you are a fee-based financial advisor, you're required to be a fiduciary. So if you are going to work with a financial advisor, Make sure they're fee-based, right? You're just paying them for what you get. You're paying them either an hourly rate or some sort of retainer. So commission-based financial advisors, probably not a good option for you. The other good option. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Little controversial. Edward Jones sucks. If you are with Edward Jones right now, they are charging you so much in fees. It's absolutely insane. I'm literally pulling up the stats right now because it's crazy how much they charge. Their fees are anywhere from a half a percent to two and a half percent. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but an index fund, which is what we talk about as our favorite investments, my favorite investment, an index fund's fees are 0.03%. So if their lowest fees are half a percent, doesn't sound like a lot, but half a percent of a million dollars is a shit ton of money. You know what's even more? Two and a half percent of a million dollars. Edward Jones is bad news bears. If you are at Edward Jones, I need you to get out. Please get out. In addition to Edward Jones having a lot of fees, they also usually work on commission. As we just discussed, not a good idea. So 
if you're at Edward Jones, this is my like siren call. Please get out. If you are the person who was just like, I went to Edward Jones because that was the place I thought I should go. This is what I hear a lot. It's like people are like, I need a financial advisor because I don't have, I don't know anybody else to tell me what to do with my money. Hi, I'm here. And a bunch of other people are here and we're here to counsel you and give you really good information for free or low cost. And again, if you're working with a finance professional, like a financial advisor, if you are going to go that route, make sure that they are a fiduciary and check the fees that they're charging you, right? We're looking for a fee-based financial advisor. Let's talk about a couple of the other alternatives to working with a traditional financial advisor. You can work with a robo-advisor. A robo-advisor is an automated platform like Elevest, Acorns, Wealthfront, Wealthsimple, Betterment. They're taking a small fee to do the investing for you. These platforms are great at getting you started investing, right? What they're not so great at is one, they're taking a fee for you to invest. And two, they're fishing for you rather than teaching you to fish. I have plenty of people who started investing with one of these platforms, which was great, but then they'll come to me like three years later and be like, I I still don't have any idea what they're doing. I have no more information than when I started on day one. I'm confused as to why they're choosing the things they're choosing. I am not managing my own money and that's scary. And even Ashley said, right? Like, I am scared about handing the control of my money over to somebody else and especially a finance chad. So the thing with robo-advisors is they might not be the best option. Shameless plug, but that's why I built Stock Market School because I want to be able to teach you how to manage your money for yourself. You can invest yourself. I want, I want to be so clear. You can invest yourself. If you think you need a finance chad to come save you, you don't. You can manage this yourself and do really, really well. <laughs> like you can outperform finance professionals. I have a stat in my book. I'm literally going to go grab my own book to reference because I'm going to find the stat. Okay, here we go. Stat from my book. Even professional stock pickers who oversee investment vehicles such as mutual funds and target date funds and whose full-time job it is to choose what they believe will be the highest performing stocks in italics aren't that good at it. And they charge you extra money for these services. A report from the ratings and research agency Morningstar found that only 47% of hedge funds, which get paid millions of dollars to study the stock market, outperformed the average index fund in 2020 and 2021. Quote, it was what you would expect from a coin flip, end quote, said Ben Johnson, the report's author and director of global ETF research. When you look at a 10-year period, it's even worse. Only a quarter of the stocks managed by pickers perform better than index funds. What does this tell me? It tells me that you can choose your own stocks. (laughs) You just need somebody to counsel you, whether that's me or somebody else. Now, my work as a financial coach, what does that mean? Well, financial coaches can do everything a financial advisor can except two things. One, we can't manage your money for you. You can't give us $5,000 and we can't go invest it, right? But we can teach you and educate you on what might be a good option for you. The second thing we can't do is if you came up to me and you said, Tori, should I invest in Amazon? I can't tell you that. I can't tell you because I don't know your life. I don't know your goals. And also, I don't have the certification to be able to do that. But I can tell you exactly how to get started investing, exactly what I might choose, what a stock is, what a mutual fund is, what a bond is, what an index fund is, how the stock market works, and allow you to use that education and information to make an informed decision. Because you know yourself best. You know your money best. And I want you to be able to manage your money in a way that feels right for you. 
Finally, there's tons of online resources and communities you can go to learn. Again, whether it's here at Her First 100K slash Financial Feminist or somewhere else, we've had many a finance expert on this show who have their own communities who are great. They're free, low-cost resources, blogs, podcasts, YouTube videos. We also have the Financial Feminist Facebook group. Again, I literally just pulled this stat from the investing chapter of my book, Financial Feminist. When you are looking at this research, though, and this information, and I know we're spending a lot of time on this question, but it's worthwhile talking about. Yes, there's plenty of people out there who give really shitty advice. There's plenty of people out there who do. There's plenty of people who give shitty advice about everything, about lifting weights at the gym and about how to grow a company and about how to cook. There's plenty of people who give shitty advice. So a couple things we need to analyze when we see something like a TikTok or a listen to a podcast episode and we're like, huh, that feels weird. One, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. If people are talking about like getting rich tomorrow, probably not somebody you can trust. The second is, are they credible, right? I might not have a financial certification, but I have been featured as a finance expert on the New York Times, Good Morning America, the Today Show, Forbes, People Magazine, CNN, uh, CNBC, right? A bunch of different places. So are they credible, right? The third thing is if somebody is teaching you what seems to be good advice, but they're making you feel like shit, also not worth your time. Plenty of people have said to me, oh yeah, Dave Ramsey, like it's tough love, but it works. And I'm like, no, it just causes you financial trauma <laughs> and a lot of shame. You don't have to find things that make you feel like shit in order for them to work. There are plenty of things out there that can offer you empathy and understanding and non-judgmental advice. And that's also good advice. So Ashley, to roundabout, congratulations on getting all of these financial ducks in a row. I love that you're thinking ahead. And again, we're answering this in kind of two parts, right? One is what should I do with that money? We're looking at a building a bigger emergency fund, probably investing the rest. That's what I personally would do if I was in your shoes and saving for any short-term goals, right? House, children, business, et cetera. Also just buy yourself something nice. I forgot to say that. Like if you're getting a little bump and it sounds like a huge bump for you, like buy yourself something nice, take yourself on vacation. Like that's great. That, that's great. And should I work with a financial advisor? Again, most of you, the vast majority of you listening don't need one. But if you are going to work with one for whatever reason, you need to make sure that they are fee-based and that they're fiduciaries, meaning they're legally obligated to act in your own best interest. All right, let's take our next question. Hi, Tori. I love your show. I'm wondering when is it okay to use my emergency fund? Obviously, if I lost my job, uh, I would want to use it then, but is an unexpected car repair an emergency? Uh, is needing to put a new roof on my garage an emergency? It feels like those things are going to quickly deplete uh, my emergency fund and then I won't have it for the actual emergencies, um, like losing my job. Thanks so much. Bye. Adrian. what a lovely question. What constitutes an emergency? First off, Again, I'm getting a 30-second voicemail, so if this is a bad read, tell me. I think you feel slightly ashamed for using the money, and you're like, ooh, okay, what? this isn't a really big capital E emergency, though, so I'm not going to use it. 
Your emergency fund is truly there in case of emergencies. And emergencies don't have to be you losing your job. It can be literally the two things you mentioned, which is like car repair, roof collapses, right? Emergency fund is, it's not like I lost my job fund, right? There's a reason we call it an emergency fund, which is, I mean, anything from I got sick, my partner gets sick, my cat gets sick. Yeah, I have an unexpected repair on my house or my car. I lose my job, my hours get cut. Something happens. I'm stranded in a foreign country and I can't get home. Okay, I'm going to book this like really expensive flight to get home. Like that constitutes an emergency. The reason we make it so broad is that you hopefully feel a little less shame about using it. I will remind you that an emergency fund is there for emergencies, right? That's what you saved it for. And in like Maslow's hierarchy of emergency fund needs, it's not like, you know, oh, I'm going to, if I use this on roof repair, like I should feel ashamed that I didn't save it for like the bigger emergency. It's what it's there for. If you need to use it, use it. Now, doesn't sound like this is an issue for you, but anybody listening who is the kind of person who it's like, ah, but an emergency can be like this pair of shoes that I've wanted for weeks went on sale and I'll just dip into my money and use that. That is not an emergency. I love you. I see your hot fucking Dior pumps, but like that's not an emergency. An emergency fund is there in case of an emergency. All of the things I just defined and anything that you would define as an emergency too, right? An actual emergency. So if you feel shame about using your emergency fund, you saved it. That's what it's there for. I have had to use my emergency fund. I have depleted it and then had to grow it again. Again, that's what it's there for. That's why we also put it in a high yield savings account so that it can work harder for us, right? It can earn us more in interest. So roof repair, car breaks down, great time to use your emergency fund. The other thing I also see people do, and again, this is like personal finance, like 201, is what's called a sinking fund. A sinking fund can be used for like certain expenses. I've seen people save a regular emergency fund and then a pet emergency fund, right? Or a pet sinking fund, knowing that this thing might cost me at some point and I don't want to use this emergency fund. I want to use this other one. So it might be worth it if you do have the financial flexibility to, you know, have your general emergency fund and then maybe save a little bit of money for like house repairs, especially if you live like in an older house or you just bought a new house and you know you got some some repairs to do on it, might be worth saving for those other goals as well. Giving your money a job is never a bad thing, right? Assigning a job to each dollar, right? That's why we automate our savings, sending our money to an emergency fund. That's why we automate our investments as much as we can, right? So if you're scared about using your emergency fund for an actual emergency, don't be. You don't need my permission but I'm giving it to you anyway. All right, let's take our next question. Hey, your work, phenomenal. Thank you so much. I've actually been investing in the sense of putting money in IRAs for a while now, but they're managed by um, a lovely human being, um, very strong woman who I admire. The honest truth is I have no idea how to know how much I'm paying her to do it. Um, how do we know how much having a financial advisor is costing us? I'm interested in um, the strategies that you're talking about and maybe getting over my fear and learning to invest on my own, but I really don't have a way to cost compare. How can I find out what my current financial manager is costing me? How will I know what my financial advisor is paying? Um, great question, Lydia. 
This is a part two of the first question, which is, I do have a financial advisor, but I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Ask. I know that sounds obvious, but you're allowed to ask. You're paying this person. You're allowed to ask. You're allowed to ask her, hey, what are you investing in for me? Why are you making those decisions? And what do you charge? You're 100% allowed to do that. Like we were talking about at the beginning, ask how they make money. Is that fee? Is that commission? Is that a combo of both? If you are paying somebody for a service, you are always allowed, even if you know them and even if they're a good friend, especially, I guess, if they're a good friend, you are always allowed to ask, hey, how do you make money? And how does this work? A good financial advisor should not just be there to manage your money, but should be there to explain it to you. And this is, again, the other reason why for me, a lot of financial advisors are not great, especially those who identify as men and who are named Chad, is that they just are like, yeah, I got it. I can do it. It's too complicated. Don't worry about it. And the whole too complicated thing is the reason that they exist is they've convinced you you can't do it. Lydia, again, I don't know you. I don't know your financial situation. I don't know your financial advisor. I'm just going to speak generally. Again, almost all of you listening can manage your own money. I would argue all of you. All of you listening can manage your own money and outperform financial advisors and outperform professional stock pickers. If you do want to keep with a financial advisor though, you can always ask, how do you make money? And then Google it, right? Google how much they're charging you and if that feels right and normal and average. I would say if anything they're investing in is more than a half a percent in fees or really more than a quarter percent in fees, you're paying too much in fees. That's too much in fees, especially if it's something like 1% or 2%. That is so much money. I can't even tell you how much money that is. That is money that's being wasted that could be invested instead. So you're 100% allowed to ask. You should ask. Don't feel any shame about that. You're paying this person money. You deserve to know what that money is going toward. And you deserve a financial advisor who explains these things to you in order for you to feel comfortable and more educated than you started off. All right, let's take our final question today from Chloe. Hey, so I have a question. When I was let go from my job in summer 2020, I had a 401k and my stepsister is a financial planner um, at Ameriprise. And she said, you know, oh, you should think about what to do with your 401k. You should move it to an IRA with me. Um, And so I was like, okay. Um, So I moved it there because I didn't know what else to do. And um, now I have my money in an IRA at Ameriprise with my stepsister and she makes a return on it because she is technically my quote unquote financial advisor. How do I take the money and put it into an independent IRA so that she's not making any money off of it without hurting her feelings. Chloe, I appreciate our audience is so kind and empathetic. They're like, how do I do the thing that I know is actually right for me without screwing up my relationships? Again, I say this, I, this is totally understandable. I think about this all the time too. If you are participating in something that for whatever reason doesn't feel right, and you're just doing it so that somebody else doesn't have their feelings hurt with, again, with all the love in the world, like stop doing it. (laughs) Truly like you are in charge of your own money. Anybody who is your friend will understand if you want to make a different decision, right? They might be upset for like two seconds, but like anybody who truly cares about you will be like, okay, that's a bummer, but sure. It's okay. So how do I, how do I break up with my financial advisor? How do I break up with them? You use a gratitude sandwich, 
We've talked about the gratitude sandwich before. It's how I negotiate. Is you go, hi, stepsister. Thank you so much for helping me transition my 401k out of my IRA. I couldn't have done it without you. I appreciate all of your guidance and support. The more I've looked into it, the more I want to try my hand at managing my money myself. I have gone on this you know, money education journey over the past couple of years, and I feel confident in doing it myself, and I will no longer need your services. Thank you so much for all of your care. And I would love to see you next week, right? Make up like future plan that is friendly and casual and that is not related to business, right? So you're going to thank them. You're going to tell them you're going to break up with them, right? And you're going to tell them why you're breaking up with them, but you're going to be firm. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for all of your help. I really appreciate it. Couldn't have done it without you. And I'm going to op- open my IRA on my own and manage it myself. I would love for you to help me transition the Roth IRA you manage into an IRA that I manage. Let me know what information you might need to help me do that. And then finally, thank you so much. Would love to see you soon, right? It doesn't have to be any more than that. Again, if you have a personal relationship with somebody, I know that this gets complicated, but at the end of the day, you are paying them money. So you're allowed to break up with them. You're allowed to tell them that you don't need their services anymore, right? As long as you do it respectfully, but firmly, you can 100% do that. And it sounds like you've already made the decision, which I love, but if somebody's out there being like, I don't know, like you do know, you do. You do know. If you're even thinking like, should I break up with them? That probably means yes, right? Like if you have a partner and you're going, should I break up with them? Like, and you're honestly thinking, should I break up with them? That that probably means yes. (laughs) Like you already know the answer. You're just waiting for somebody to give you permission. So Chloe, totally understand that it might be a little weird emotionally, but ultimately like, you know what to do. You just do it with a lot of respect and kindness. And then you do it firm and you ask to see them in a non-professional way later, right? To maintain the relationship. And anybody who actually cares about you and actually wants some sort of friendship or personal relationship to continue will not be affected by this. They might be bummed for a second, but they won't be affected by it. All right. We did a bunch of questions about financial advisors today. You might be thinking something similar or have a similar question. So I hope this answers. I know we're going to get a lot of emails from financial advisors yelling at me. I don't think financial advisors are a bad thing. I want to be very clear. Hi, if you're a finance professional, we appreciate it, especially if you're a marginalized group financial professional, because there's not a lot of us. There's not a lot of you. But for the average person, especially, I have talked to thousands, probably tens of thousands at this point of women who are just trying to figure out where to get started, who are just trying to make smart decisions, and you think you need somebody to do it for you because you've been told it's complicated, right? I talk about this so much, is you've been told actively it's complicated. And my not-so-conspiracy conspiracy theory is you've been told it's complicated to keep a literal multi-billion dollar industry, the financial industry, alive and afloat, right? They profit off of you feeling scared, And I don't want you to feel scared. You can manage your own money. Frankly, you should manage your own money because you outperform financial professionals when you manage your own money for yourself. So you just need somebody to guide you. Again, whether that's me or, you know, another financial expert who can give you information for you to make your own choices, that is a great, great, great solution for you. I hope this has been helpful please feel free to share it with somebody in your life. If you're listening on Spotify, please feel free to submit your own question or to leave us a voicemail on any podcasting platform. We so appreciate your support of our podcast and our movement. Thank you for being here and we'll talk to you soon. 
Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, marketing and administration by Karina Patel, Sophia Cohen, Khalil Dumas, Elizabeth McCumber, Beth Bowen, Amanda LaFew, Masha Bachmikieva, Kaylin Sprinkle, Samaya Mullakarillo, and Harvey Carlson. Research by Ariel Johnson, audio engineering by Austin Fields, promotional graphics by Mary Stratton, photography by Sarah Wolf, and theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, and episode show notes, visit financialfeministpodcast.com. 